our Lord and our God, we thank you for yet another opportunity, Lord, to drink from your living water, which is your word. Father, even as your word go forth this morning, may it be your word, and not my own word. May it not be word of intelligence, but may it be word of wisdom that comes only from you. Father, speak to us, speak to our hearts individually and collectively this morning, so that we will live according to your will. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Praise the Lord. Please may we be seated. We welcome ourselves this morning to this Holy Eucharistic prayer. Uh, We thank God for the opportunity because each time the opportunity occurs for us to share the word, it is a time of reflecting and asking God, what are you telling me this morning? So that should be our mindset this morning. We are still going on with the team of the church to be strong and never be discouraged. Because of what? There will be challenges on the way. There will be things that will bring discouragement. But our attention should rather be on the reward that awaits us. Our topic for today says very boldly, avoiding the tragedy of King George. So that brings to our mind that actually King George had a tragedy, as the scripture puts it. And there was an option for him, for this tragedy to be averted, for this tragedy not to have happened in the first place. And that reflects reflects on our relationship with God. God gives us option. He has his will. But he gives us option. And so whichever way it goes depends on you and not on God. King George, George had an open check. That's the way I will put it. He had an open check to bring a stop to the hostilities of the Syrians. They were under oppression from the Syrians when King Hazel was the king, because of what the scripture made it so clear, that King George did evil in the, sight of the, in the sight of the Lord, and did not turn away from any sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. And uh, some scriptures will say, he walked in them. So he was operating at the level of existing protocol and did not deem it necessary to seek what God says concerning being a king and having the king that brought them out of Israel, uh, Egypt. Before anybody is made king in Israel, the laws will be read for you. Yes. And you have to, it's just like oh, taking of every office. And, you know, the medical people take their own, the Hippocratic Oath, which many of us still today, even after practicing for 20 something years, don't know the full content and the weddings. We just do it the day of our swearing in, and then there it ends. 
But when you have an issue that will make you revert to that your oath, you will shock at the content of the oath. Somebody made me to go back there and tell me that I must treat him no matter what, that his life is at stake. I say it's not for you to say whether your life is at stake. I have to decide. But all the same, I looked in and he marvels me. Even our president took the same oath, the legislators, even the lawyers, as the preacher said last Sunday, which I don't know, I don't know about the oaths the lawyers took. Yes. Because sometimes when we go up against this oath, so that's something that happened to King George. He went against that oath of office and started living just the way he loved. And God in his anger, because these are people that he's drawn to himself. He used the Syrians to oppress them. He gave them out to them. Why? Because they've tied the hands of God. You know, when you go ahead of God to do certain things he says you should not do, there is a level of grace that will leave you. The main grace enjoyed by children of God won't be with you. But that doesn't make King Josh not to be knowledgeable. It has been read before and it was well read, but let me just go through it once again so that it will be the brought up to speed. This was the time of prophet Elijah, Elisha. During those last days he spent on earth. Second Kings 13 verse 14. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness which he died. Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrow, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands, and then commanded him again, open the east window, he said, and he opened it. He said, shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, that's the Syrians, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Afek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him again, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five times or six times. Then you should have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. And let's go to verse 25 where we will see the result of that incomplete knowledge and disobedience. Then George, son of Jehu has recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Hazel, the town he has taken in battle from his father, Ben, um, his father Joahaz. Three times Joash defeated him, and so he recovered the Israelite towns. He did not recover everything. So this brings to mind some level of analogy. That one, 
Joash knows the words of prophet Elijah. That he acknowledged that actually this is a servant of God. And he knew that this man is at the tail end of his life. That I need to get a message from him. Or a declaration from God before this man leaves this earth. He knows all these things. When he went to him, he acknowledged and he shouted, My father, my father. Just like many of us acknowledge God and we call God our father, our father. And he said what? Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. So he came there prepared. He didn't start running around going to any other place. He came prepared. Because if you're a king in Israel, you are a soldier, you lead the war. At least when you are younger, you lead the war. So he came with all the instruments of war, very prepared. But not for war, but as his custom should be. As a Christian, we should be prepared at every time. And he said, take the bow in your hand. And he took it and said, Elijah put his hand on the king's hand. So that whatever that is happening is not by the strength of your own ability, but by the ability given to you by God. Elisha here represents God and his servant. David said it that you strengthen my hand to war. He acknowledged that the strength, the victories he do, he, he had, weren't just for his skills, but because of that strength. That he is given him. Even when we read the Hebrew and uh, the epistle, something like that was said too. And he commanded again, open the window. Open the window in a direction of access. Giving us access. And he said, shot. Shoot. And he, sh- he shot. And then, the arrow actually was not targeted at anybody. But it is targeted in a direction. The direction of the enemy where the result is expected. And he did not check whether it got anybody. But what matters most is the declaration that went with that arrow. Declaration from God. I say the lost arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Afek. A declaration has been made. And the king accepted and believed that. That's the first part of the obedience. But the second part, he gave him another instruction. Take the arrow. Elisha told him, strike the ground. Now he's not shooting, but he's striking the ground. And he did that three times and stopped. First one, he did one and stopped. And the proclamation was made. And the second one, he did three times. I don't know the complete theology around why he should just do three times and stop. Nobody told you to stop. The scripture did not tell us whether the arrows he had finished, but on his own, he felt he has done enough. And this typified an average Christian. 
this typifies us. When you check the scripture, there is nothing that should have an end till you leave your final destination. Is it making disciples? Is it fighting against evil? Is it whatever? Even the scripture. Our searching of the scripture should be a lifelong activity. Many of us, when we get to the knowledge of reading the Bible, we are going through the Bible in this chapel, Bible challenge, and I know when we do it two or three times, some people will feel, okay, I've known there is nothing again to learn. And I tell you, that will be the moment as a Christian you start going down. So he gave me just short three times. I think that will do. And when he did that, he missed a lifelong opportunity. Opportunity that cannot come again in his lifetime. And the prophet that knew the implication was very angry. Some translations say he was wroth with him. That is an extreme extent of anger. You know, we've had situations where somebody will ask you, what do you want? You see yourself stuck. You won't even know what you want again. Or you will be given a check until filling any amount. And you will go there and be filling... 100,000, 1 million. Yes, you are putting a ceiling to the level of what God wants to do for you. Even us as, a, as Christians, sometimes it happens to all of us. You see that this request we are making, ah, it is not reasonable. I won't say that God cannot do it, but we feel it's not reasonable. Even in hopeless situation. Because Israel and the Syrians at that time, it was slightly a hopeless situation. When it comes to Amri, when it comes to military might, Israel were nowhere close to Syria. They were, they've even claimed so many lands from them that even that three times that he struck wasn't even claiming a territory from the uh, Syrians but claiming that which the devil has taken from us. And he was just satisfied at that level. Is that not a tragedy? And after that, he started receiving pounding. That he said that their soldiers were disseminated, just like the dust. So for the scriptures to put it that way, it means that they killed them utterly. We get to certain level of work with God and we think we have arrived. I've paid my dues. It's for the younger converts now to continue. I'm not struggling for anything again. But we even know that we've not started the journey of reclaiming from the enemy. That we are just taking just a part of what the enemy has taken from us. Because the scripture made it very clear too. That this is just some of the cities that we are taking from them. Those were the cities they recapture. The main thing here for King Joash it was all about war. 
King Joash did not have complete understanding of this instruction. Because had it been he had the full understanding of the instruction that was given to him, he could have gone beyond that. So that is the same thing with even reading the scripture or even having some experience. But we have different perception because it is how you see something and what meaning it is to you. So you will react to it. So here, perception is the ultimate thing there. Is this some perception that divides the foolish and the wise? We know the story of the young virgins. All of them, naturally, they went with what would do, it would be enough for them. But did they know, they did not have that insight that if the bridegroom or if anything goes wrong, then what happens? Jesus Christ is coming soon and 2,000 and something years has passed. Is he still coming again? People are making projections of 20, 90, 20, this one, 20, even 30, 30. They will tell you at a time, even the scientists, that the sun's heat, because of the depletion of the ozone layer, in the year 30, this, 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 or something like that, that the sun heat, sun's heat will be so much that the earth will be melted. What are they doing here? They are confirming the word in the Bible that this earth will come to an end. But it depends on your perception what you believe. Where and when does this earth end for me? Is it Jesus coming back? Some will be alive. Some may not be. We don't have that knowledge. But we know that the day you breath your last breath, that becomes of you. God is not an author of confusion. There are some words, there are some teachings in the Bible that cause for our obedience. Without too much ado, knowing the specificities and legalities of it. The arrow that was shot was very specific, the direction and everything, but it was not particular. There was no individual that this target was meant to hit. And we know the enemy of Christian is the Satan and his cohorts. Everything that has original has fake. The Satan uses sin for his own battle. Because when a Christian sins, is out of the grace comfort, uh, comfort, uh, uh, confines of grace, where the God, the Lord, will minister to him, and the Holy Spirit can come in and direct every of his activities. So what is actually a tragedy? Tragedy is an event causing great suffering, destruction and distress, such as serious accident, crime, natural catastrophe. Sometime late last year, I was watching the television. They showed a house that collapsed in Lagos. 
And unfortunately, that building was a brothel. And when they were bringing out people, they brought out two people in a very uncompromising position. Let me put it that way. So what do they have? They have two tragedies now. Tragedy of death from this fiscal war. And the second tragedy. Because of course, who goes to Brotel? What are you doing there? Is it a fellowship center? Or are you having midweek meeting there? Or are you having Sunday service in a brothel? And what are you doing there? Naked. We know that when we come to church, we clothe ourselves responsibly. So we Christians, we should be more interested with the second tragedy. With, with the main tragedy when it concerns Christians. Because our life here, if it is not of value to God, is a wasted life. The first tragedy... It's incomplete understanding of God's instruction. And this is brought about by perception. When we look at John 4, 1 to 43, it's a long story, but all of us know about the Samaritan woman. When she got engaged with Jesus Christ, at a time, she had an insight and something told her that this is not an ordinary person. He said, she perceived that, I perceive that you are a prophet. And if you read it carefully and see the tenses that we are used there, from there on, the conversation is that of somebody that wants to get something from the prophet. Asking questions with instructions. And he did not even do much preaching to her. And what, does, what did that produce? It made her to go back to the town and tell them, I've seen the Messiah. And that brought salvation to a people. Elijah and his servants, when he saw, they saw the 50 soldiers. There were things that were happening. Anytime the king of Syria wants to come and invade the uh, Samaria, their ambush will become rubbish. And then somebody told there was a, there is a prophet. In Samaria, that will tell you everything. That will tell the king everything about you. So out of anger, he sent for him to be fetched. Fifty soldiers at once, well armed. And what happened? The servant was shaking. But when he asked the Lord to open the eyes of his servant, what he saw made him to gather enough liver and say nothing they happened. So my prayer this morning is that the Lord will open the eyes of our understanding. That we will have a deeper understanding of what God wants us to do at each particular point in time in Jesus' name. The second one is incomplete obedience. In 1 Psalm 15.3 there was a definite instruction given to Saul. And the translations, the uh, many Bible translations, use word that means utterly or to destroy completely. There's a translation that says, annihilate, annihilate. That's finished completely. Don't leave any remnants. The next one says, destroy utterly. 
Another one say, Ma utterly. That means bring to destruction because these people were against my will. They fought my people when they were vulnerable, coming out of Israel. So I want them out of this surface. I want them out of the surface of the earth. And King Saul obeyed and then put the human factor aspect of it, which is bringing things for sacrifice, bringing King Agag, Agag alive. We obey God, but along the line, we get wiser than God. Or we insinuate, is it not what God is telling? Oh, God cannot say this now. No. He cannot say this. This is what I think. And when you start thinking and you don't follow foolishly, then yourself, your carnality, the mortal man, has come into it. Even same did happen to Moses when he was given a definite instruction how to give water to the children of Israel. Out of anger, he went and did it his way. And God said, since you've done it your way, then go your way. Let me see how you enter the promised land. But because of your faithfulness, you will see, but your feet will not step in there. See a life of obedience. But just one moment of allowing your carnal body to take over your life has made a dream and a promise. So we say, and buy a we I told somebody, don't you think that this is a generational cause? What do you think is a cause? Cause is something that goes from generation to generation. They give birth to you, they give you work. They give birth to another one, they give you work. And the work and the bad thing about this generation, the, this kind of thing, that the next generation will be worse than the first generation. So a Christian given to anger, sudden anger, sudden rage. And James made it very clear that human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Things you do, do in anger, when you are sober, when you are calm, go and reflect it. That's why some people, when they were angry, they will not talk. They will leave the environment. They will lock up themselves. Because in heat of extreme anger sometimes, you cannot even say praise worship. You cannot even pray. That is it. Some that are not Christians, they will go and use spirit of Bezebub on Bezebub by going to drink. After that, does it solve the problem? No. So that is it. Let's come to our situation because I know one thing. If the scripture does not talk to us concerning our contemporary issues, now that we are alive, then that scripture is not active. And we know that the word of God is active. We are in Nigeria now. We know the situation of things. Election is coming. Christians are praying. Some are doing night vigils. Some are doing a lot of things. We are calling my father, my father, just like King George did. Yes. We know his ability and we know his might. But we forgot one thing. 
that God a lot of time uses symbolism to achieve what he wants to achieve. He uses people. Situations, yes, he calls fire from heaven. But in Nigeria's situation, God wants to use symbolism. When the children of Israel go to Jericho, fortified city, impregnable, which weapon did they have? But there was an instruction, which looks stupid. Go around the city singing seven times after they blow the trumpet. And that was what they did. And the wall of Jericho collapsed. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because of the time we are in. Jesus healed a blind man with spit, saliva, and mud. That's another very specific symbolism. God told Moses, what are you holding? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? And in Nigeria's situation, what do we have? We have our PVC. So if you don't have your PVC, you are out of confines of word of God. The grace will not be with you. Let's not deceive ourselves. We voted many times what happened. Yes. But you have to exercise faith this time. Don't make God stupid. Stop deceiving yourself and be praying from morning till night. I call it hypocrisy. Election day, you will do set apart because Naga no no no. Election day will be a day for you to do your laundry and wash the clothes. That's hypocrisy. That's not Christianity. Even Jesus paid tax. He did his civic responsibility. Read the scripture very well. And this is our civic responsibility. I'm 100% sure. Some of us took the first step of going to the prophet, Abba, Father, Father, Father. But the next prophet will get your arrow. Where is your PVC? They didn't get. The next set of people, they got their PVC. But when they say shoot, go and vote, they won't go. Even though it was very clear that Elisha held the hand of the king, that your PVC is not going to achieve the result, but what is behind that your PVC? Yes, that's how the Spirit gave me to go this morning. So if you're a Christian here, and you are talking about not going, if you don't have any reason, you are not sick, and you are not thinking of voting, you are committing sin. It's as simple as that. You are twisting the hand of God, because you say, my vote does not count. You are diminishing the might of God. You are making God to look very stupid. Do your own and leave God to do his own. That's the simple. That's how I understand the whole situation. You don't even cast for just president. Because everybody is saying president, president, president. You don't shoot once and stop. Cast for even if there's opportunity for counselors. Do it. Yes. If there's opportunity to vote for counselor, go for the, go, uh, the president, national assembly, governorship, house of assembly. You've done your part. It's only then that our prayer can see the light. God will not send thunderstorm. He will not, especially in this situation. We have to cast our votes. 
getting your PVC is a complete lie and incomplete obedience. And we know that he that obeyed halfway does not honor God. We have to use the tool we have in our hands. Joseph, uh, Moses was sent on a mission. He was not given gun. He did not go with arms and ammunition. But he used that which was in his hand. Which was just his stick, his staff. Same, we will not go and join people killing and doing a lot of horrible things, brawling and start doing things that a Christian should be not identified with. I'm saying this because we see where we are now. And if care is not taken, there were times that people were finding it difficult. Not even the COVID time. COVID time, COVID is another. That in some places, going to worship is an issue. And if we get it wrong this time, it can only get worse. There are times you cannot profess your faith and worship God freely. Read the Bible. Is there the early church, how they have to hide and worship just in the night, how they have to use their leg to draw fish to identify whether you are a Christian or not. But in everything, the greatest tragedy is knowing, confessing, and having Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and not make heaven, because you have us on sin. And what would that lead to? We read the scripture, Matthew, when God was saying, I don't know you. And you'll be telling him, I profess your name. I perform miracles in your name. I did this in your name. And he will still maintain, I don't know you. There were situations when you, I as a person feel like asking God questions. I know this person. I happen to be in a congregation or something like that with somebody that I'm 100% sure of. That this person is a pervert, sexual, a homosexual. But if you come to the church, the person was blasting tongues. I would say, which tongue is this person speaking? Please God, I don't want to be judgmental, but I'm confused. And those things still exist today. Even people that are out of grace, they call God's name. And a lot of times, God still honors his name. Because the power is in the name of Christ, and not in the person. But on the last day, this tragedy will befall that person. And I know we will not be those kind of Christians that go to church do everything, read the scriptures, and on the last day, God will say, I don't know you. We are more interested in manifesting the gifts of the Spirit, devoid of the fruit of the Spirit. But we know that fruit of the Spirit makes us Christians, and not the gifts. Gift is an addendum. 
And there are a lot of gifts. If you get it, even when you backslide, in some persons, that gift still remains. I don't know why God did it like that. And I cannot question him. But it's in existence. The scripture is telling us that we should mortify the flesh. When I look for the root word of mortify, or mortify I started seeing mortuary, mortum, all this. In, it represents death. Our bodies should be dead to sin. The scripture is using our flesh because all the desires that go wrong against God are products of the flesh. Things that satisfy our senses, things that when we do them, we get satisfied, we feel good. Not that spiritual things does not, uh, do not bring satisfaction, but you have to get to a certain level of relationship before those things will start getting pleasing to you. Many of us, we are trying to lose weight. Yes, I've tried many times, but I've been unsuccessful. I have to confess in the presence of, I say, they say six packs. If you give me six packs, will I build two place with it? Or I will raise my hand singlet and be moving around. I want to remain healthy. That's why I went to the military barrack and they wanted to finish me. I have to run. So that is telling us something. That sometimes it's not easy. They were telling me no pain, no gain, no pain. You know, I collapse there. When you say, I say, Oga, I know be soldier. And I'm not going for Olympics. I just want to remain healthy. I want to lose weight. And to lose weight is one of the hardest things you can think of. To add, it's very easy. And when you are adding, you'll be like, ah, ah, I'm still in control. I will do something. When I jog two times, it will come down. And one thing goes with it. Things you eat. And it's very difficult. I love food. And you'll be seeing others, especially your children, eating your money and you won't be part of it. Ah. I would say, So that is what happened to us. We have a whole besetting sin. And we have residual sin. Sin that you have walked away from in your whole life before you know Christ. It has a way of coming up. And in time of your vulnerability. People that drop habits, smoking, drinking, when they are vulnerable, they go back to it to have solace. In science, they say when the condition is favorable, recessive gene will manifest. And when it does manifest, it manifests in a very bad way. So as a Christian, you have to be cautious, taking heed lest you fall. You are not too strong or too anything. You are not. You have to live a life of godly watchfulness at each point in time. What you hear, instruction, hear well. What you, what you understand, understand well. And prioritize things concerning God. Little forces that spoil the very yard, those habits that you feel, does it really matter? 
is one of those things. Does it count? Those are the things that destroy. Most of us will not do some horrible things, carrying gun to go and shoot, or sexual immorality, or Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo. I know there's no Yahoo person here. So, such should not be found among us. But it's little, there are little, little things. Anger, envy, um, little, little things that doesn't matter. Uh, some you feel that you can't do anything about it. That this is me. If you flip your lips, they tell you something. Next thing is in the marketplace. So, brethren, what am I saying here? Tragedies can be avoided. Especially we Christians have gone to know God and read the scriptures and the instructions that we are giving to us. That are given to us. We have to follow them sheepishly, like sheep. Without your own understanding, but just the way it is written there. It is a tragedy because you have a sight of it. But you cannot or you did not enter that narrow gate. That's a tragedy. Which means that you are worse off than people that never got to know him in the first place. And the topic made us know that it is avoidable. So it is a decision that we have to take and follow. It is a decision that may not be too pleasant for you. But it's a decision that you've agreed to do. And whatever you agree to do and pray for God's grace, you have peace. Let us pray. Heavenly King, we thank you this day. We glorify yourself. Because of the love you have for us, that you are still calling us once again, that whatever tragedy the enemy is planning, that it is still avoidable. Heavenly King, we commit each and every one of us here. Are there ways we backslided in any way? Are there ways our life has not given honor to your name? Father, we plead for your mercy and we come to you in repentance and wholesome obedience to your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us in everything we do. So that that instruction, no matter how vague it is, that the Holy Spirit will give us explanation. Full and comprehensible explanation. So that we will live for you and you alone. That the last day, you will tell us, my children, come and have your rest. And not telling us, that you don't know us. Father, may this tragedy not befall us in Jesus' name. We thank you, gracious Lord, that in all things, may we remain yours. And may we remain where your grace will always get to us. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray.